Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be and to be. Welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. We are the podcast that is getting you over the game line on all the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm Hugh Cavill. Um, we're doing a bit of an interesting uh, setup this week. We've got a couple of podcasts coming through. Um, we're sort of split into teams, if you will. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about general topics in rugby, the Wallabies, etc. And then coming up later in the week, a specialist NRC podcast featuring um, Rugby Reg, uh, Brett Mackay, and uh, Nick, our producer, is going to talk through all the big topics of Australian rugby. But tonight, uh, we're focusing on internationals. We're focusing on general topics. Uh, and to do that with me is uh, Matt Riley. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm, I'm pumped to be on this little fireside tete-a-tete. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you, uh, you've been spending some time in the birdcage in the sort of the fancy marquees of, uh, of the spring carnival. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a uh, bit of a crash down to earth for you, isn't it? Just sitting around talking on this podcast now. I feel like you've moved on to bigger and better things. Well, yeah, I was in the uh, green and gold rugby tent most of the time. Uh, <laughs> Were you not there, mate? Did you not score an invite to that one? It was oh, it was no, the must, must it was the talk it, yeah. of the town. It was the talk of the town. Everyone was raging about it. It was Usain Bolt was there. We were playing a bit of touch. Uh, you know, there's a few models uh, who sort of turned up. Snoop Dogg dropped by. It was um, yeah, it was good. It cost us a bit, but you know, I think it was worth it. Sounds like a very typical Green and Gold Rugby affair, actually. It doesn't surprise me. Um, and you know we we have had that big operating surplus this year from um, from all of those you know clicks that are worth so much money as you'd well know. Uh, being well, it is. It's, it, it's not always just the clicks, mate. It's the branding. It's important to get the brand out there. Uh, so you know what's what's a million bucks for a tent? Well, that's right. And and I saw you actually chatting uh, one of the photos of you and Twiggy Forest there too. So obviously you you kind of know where the uh, the cash piles are in Australian rugby at the moment. It, it is. Well, it, the money's raining in. Uh, I must admit, so it's, it's 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 hard to keep your head above water with the money that's swilling around Australian rugby right now. Oh, exactly, exactly. Which brings us to the questions. Um, we're still going to do our five questions, so I'll I'll read through them now. Um, question one: What do we get out of the Japan game? Question two: What do we expect from the Wales Test? Question three: uh, Two years out from the World Cup, what positions are you worried about in the Wallabies? Question four. Has the NRC finally come of age? And question five is Twiggy Ball with your mate Andrew Twiggy Forrest. Any chance of being good? Um, so let's get stuck into it. Japan game. I think the score was 63 at 30. Off the top of my head, 35-3 at half time. We really put the game to bed pretty early, um, but it was still, I, I thought, a pretty good game to watch. Matt, what was your uh, what was your take? Yeah, it was. Look at the. Did, what did we get out of it? Um, I thought I was really interested to see the comments going into the game that what they were, what the team was looking to do was to say, look, you know, we're going to push. <laughs> like it was obviously going to be a lesser team, and I think this isn't even the same sort of you know, caliber of Japanese team that we saw in the World Cup. Is, was my understanding. There was, there was a, quite a few players um, out, uh, so. I think the idea was, look, it should have always be a win, but what we didn't want to have is a classic 
Wallabies win where we managed to kind of, you know, drop to the level of the opposition if the opposition's not so crash hot, um, which, you know, is a classic that we've, we've done, especially on tour, um, is to really kind of, you know, drag ourselves down to that level and, 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 and get damn close to being beat. So sticking that 60 points on was really good. Uh, I thought they also signaled how they wanted to do that. They wanted to go in and use, you know, their size and power and really, you know, dominate the opposition from that perspective. And I thought they, 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 they did exactly that. Uh, showed um, how they're a really uh, hard team to keep a, keep a hold of. So, you know, from that ex- from that perspective, I thought that was really good. I also think we do need to be able to start playing a bit of a – I don't even say it was a B team because there's a hell of a lot of good players in there, but I do think we need to be able to show we can start to mix it up a little bit, give some other people some game time, start to see some other players uh, come through and, 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 keep the, and keep that rolling, and, and that's good. So – if we're going to be getting where we need to be, we do need to have some sort of distance between us and some. I, this isn't even a second tier nation anymore, is it? But um, some of the, some of the lesser nations, so to speak, and I guess this proved it. Yeah, it was. Look, I don't get some of the negativity around it. There's a bit on our forum and a bit, you know, floating around parts of the internet about, well, you know, we conceded 30 points, and oh, well, you know, the game, the game was a oh, still a lot to work on, and, and yeah, look, sure, oh, fair enough. You never want to concede 30 points, and yeah. You can always improve, but but you know what? I think that was a pretty good performance. I was actually pretty impressed. That first half, you know, was was a really comprehensive demolition of Japan, and the scoreboard, you know, of thirty-five-three pretty much tells the story. I mean, you're right, Matt, that we have this we've had this history of really playing down to the opposition, and and you saw it in the game against Italy earlier in the year. I mean. You know, you also saw it against Fiji and Scotland as well. But Italy was that key game where, all you know, we had a charge down try and we had the, you know, the the the, the classic sort of um, couple of stuff ups where, and all of a sudden, you know, with 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 15 minutes to go, I think it was 27-25, and you know, these guys, the the minnow minnows have got a sniff, and you can never you can never give them that. And that, that's a recipe for disaster. And it was really pleasing for me to see us come out and roll over them in that first half and go, you know what? There's no sniff in it for you here, Japan. There's nothing in it for you today. And 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 that was, you know, from from that point on, the game was dead and and they put on some points late. But really, you know, we we, we switched off at about the 50 minute mark and and we probably had a bit, a bit of um, reason to do so. So yeah, I, I think it was a pretty pleasing performance. And to answer the question, I mean, I think we did get a lot out of it. Uh, not only in a bit of confidence on the field, and it, it was nice to see some players that have probably been a bit quieter in the last couple of months get a run, like Samu Karevi and, and Tavita Kurandrani um, in particular. But, but also, I mean, we should talk Reese Hodge, because I thought... The kicking performance was impressive. I thought the defensive performance was impressive. But I've got to say, I'm not 100% sold on his, his abilities as a 10. That passing game, to me, just, you know, most of his passes were sort of an inch too high or an inch too slow or an inch too far to one side. But but you know what? I thought it was, it was you know, a pretty good performance all in all for, for a guy that hasn't played much 10 in his career and, and um, come away with a 60-point with a win. You, you can't be too unhappy with that, can you? No, although I think you're jumping into uh, the question three um, here, which is about you know positions that that we're kind of worried about, um, because that, I think that was one of the biggest sort of talking points out of that whole test was was Reece Hodge. So 
Right, I don't. Do you want to break rules? Can we jump to question three here, or, or what are we? What are we allowed to do in this? No, I don't think. I think we could stick to the rules here. Um, we can talk about resol. We can talk about resolge and 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 foreshadow a, a discussion okay. around ten, the, yeah. the number ten position about positions we're worried about because, I mean, I think yeah they are. You're right. They are they are connected. But just re- let's isolate resolge for the moment. I mean, it. Uh, it it was it was it was okay, wasn't it? Yeah, look, I, I don't. As much as I kind of sat there going, right, oh, I really want to see how Reese Hodge goes. Um, it was like, you know, it was like when someone talks to you about your taxes. You know, it's really important. You're really trying to pay attention, but it just can't sink in. You you, you can't kind of you can't listen to it. And it was it was kind of for me that was like trying to watch watch Reese Hodge. I was like, oh yeah, I've got to see how he plays. But then. I don't know. He, he just kind of blended in, you know. It just, it. I didn't think he played quite. He, I mean, he said himself he didn't feel that he had the control of the game. Um, considering the guy doesn't, you know, play, you know, ten that much at a at any real super level. I'm, I'm sure he. My understanding is he's played a little bit at maybe club or or school or whatever it was before that. But he, the Wallabies and Super Rugby seem to have been trying to put him in every other position. Rather than ten, so far. So I don't know. If we can blame him too much for that. Um, I can. I kind of just go away saying, look, yet again, he showed the temperament of a, you know, of a class player. Didn't make any massive stuff ups, and then went and kicked nine out of nine goals. And as Jamie Miller said in sort of the the, the chat before this podcast, um, you know, when was the last time any Wallaby kicked nine out of nine goals? Um, that that was that was quite an amazing performance. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, from that, look, yeah, there's been a lot of oh, he's, he's just he's clearly not a ten or never will be a ten. I hate it when people say stuff like that um, because it's like yeah, well, as if you know, mate. And I'm, I'm pr- pretty sure there weren't many people who thought you know um, Bernie Larkin was going to be a world class ten when he was you know wasn't he a young skinny you know, uh, 15 or whatever that kind of got plucked and, and pushed into 10. Um, and so, and we've seen that happen in other, with other players and other roles as well have gone on to be world-class players. So I think there was nothing there to say he couldn't do that. Um, and I think there's a lot about his game that says he fits that mould that Czech is looking for. Um, so from that perspective, you know, the fact that he got a first go, and look, I'll, and I'll just go back to that whole team mentality thing. It just kind of showed that, the Wallabies are stepping into a different frame of mind, whereas, as we said, they might have sort of managed to trip themselves up and beat themselves against another opposition. Here they kind of stepped up a gear, and I thought that was really, really useful uh, for them to get that, as you said, giving players like Karevi a, a bit of time, giving Ben McCowman a, a, a chance to ease back in. Uh, yeah, tick, it was good. I mean, uh, look, Hodge, I, I don't know. He, he... Uh, I'm, I'm inclined not to say he's not a 10, and, and obviously he can build on his skills. He's shown he's a very adaptable, you know, he's an international class player, there's no doubt. But it just reminded me a bit of that time back in the late 90s, I think, when, when we played Nathan Gray at 10 in the Wallabies, um, you know, for I think one or two games in the sort of, it, it might have been the start of the Rod McQueen era now, I think about it. But it, it just... It just didn't quite fit, you know. He's he's got a good rugby brain and his defence is good, and obviously his kicking is amazing. But you know what? We can get that in other positions. You know, we we can ha- get that with him in other positions, and he can contribute that from the wing or he can contribute that from centre. I, I I just think that you know from what I, I saw, 
yeah, you know, if you sort of matched that side of his game with what we saw from Duncan Payauia in in the uh, Barbarians game, then you probably have a pretty good ten. You know, I thought Duncan's passing game was was pretty good, and and that's a part of you know what what Checker asks of a ten is that flat to the line, more of a distributor role than any real sort of um, you know uh, Quade Cooper bells and whistles. But you know, I still think. To, to do that under pressure, we you know he just he threw an intercept pass, he threw a couple of passes that found the ground. Look, uh, I think there's there's a lot to work on there, and I don't think he can't achieve it. But I'm just wondering if if you know it's it's just he, there's an element of putting a square peg in a round hole to me there that 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 I'm not sure if it's got long term future. But that said, you know with Bernard Foley as our first choice ten, do we? I'm not sure we need it anyway. I mean, as a feeling, it, it was it was pretty good. But you but you certainly wouldn't wouldn't want to take him into a a game against a top tier nation. No. Well, although look, I I get the, and I could suddenly see it as well as we were going into the match, just sort of going, oh look, I, I get what the what the love could be for that though, which is that, and I know you're going to say, oh, but he could do that if he was playing fullback or whatever else. But I mean, ten does kind of put him more in the into the centre of things when it comes to, for example, how his, um, you know, how his kicking from hand gain might come in. Now, I think we're all driven to distraction by the idea that only Bernard Foley can kick for touch, um, you know, from, you know, things like penalties. You know, that just seems absolutely crazy. And, you know, right now, Hodge should be doing those, um, you know, because the distance that he can find... Uh, you know, in those sorts of situations is, is, is so important and, in fact, was one of the key reasons why we, you know, we managed to hold on to that game against the All Blacks um, in those final minutes because it wasn't just the penalty that he kicked from 53 metres. The only reason we were that far up the field was because he'd done the clearance um, from, I think it was around our, our own 22 line. So it's a it's a really vital piece and, yes, you've got the the set piece kicking but then I think you know that sort of kicking from hand where at the moment we get stuck in those pop gun situations where you know it's not even a great up and under there's not enough hang time on it or if we're just trying to get downtown Foley just doesn't have that that reach and you put Hodge there you're in a different ball game altogether um, and it doesn't have to be a big signal set piece. If he's at 10, he can just decide when he's going to do it. Uh, and I would, and I'd love to see his bombs. They must go up an absolute, you know, they must go, you know, get snow, snow on them, which is again, changes the game as far as what you can do in pressuring the ball, uh, the, the receivers. And then if he's in the center of the whole thing and he's your goal kicker and you've got somebody who can kick goals from, you know, 55, 60 meters, especially if you can do nine out of nine, you change the game again. So, you know, and then if finally, if you sort of if he if he can step up and just be a hard straight running uh, sort of ten, I mean you know you know Larkham, I think a lot of Larkham's threat was really about his sort of ability to run. Now he had that lovely style, but that was and that's the same thing that sort of Foley offers is that sort of you know threat to the line. Is that what we're talking about with Hodge? Um, but I, I I guess right now we're not seeing the finesse of the handling that goes with it, but. I just wonder if that's what Larkham and, and, and Checker are looking at and saying that's the last piece of the puzzle. If you can put that in, it's you've got a whole bunch of other game-changing things that he brings, and then suddenly the Wallabies have got, you know, about three more, you know, uh, strings to their bow. Yeah, yeah, and look, and, and there's a certain point to which, you know, obviously Checker's seen something, 
and and so there's a development you know opportunity there. I, I agree that kicking is is such an asset, isn't it? Where you know and and the place kicking is the other one. I mean, he kicked nine from nine, and and I've watched him a lot in Super Rugby. I watched a lot of Rebels games, um, from which I'm actually sort of still getting some therapy. But the um, <laughs> you know, he was pretty erratic off the tee. You know, he, yeah. he and actually I looked up the stats before this, and he kicked seventy percent for the season. And, um, in Super Rugby, whereas Bernard Foley kicked 80%. Um, so, you know, with a larger sample size, you, you've still got to say probably Foley's the better place kicker. But, geez, nine from nine is a... And they, and they not many of them were, were easy kicks, too. There were a lot from sort of from wide out. So, um, yeah, you, you've uh, you've got to love that. Um, other other impressive players, I've got to say, the timeless warrior, Tatafu Pilota now. I mean, I thought he was amazing. Some of the work yeah. that he got through and, and just that ability to, to, to keep his feet in contact and get through the game line is impressive. I mean, the thing that I liked, I suppose, about our first considering, half... Considering, mate, let me break in there on t- TPN, considering he can't get a super contract. He's got well, no yeah. job. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, how, how, how kind of crazy is that? I mean, I just... Yeah, I mean, look, I think that's one of the unfortunate byproducts of this whole force decision is there's now some of those specialist positions, um, halfback being the other one, where you've got all of the teams have already sort of locked down their options for next year. All of them have got three hookers in their squad and they just don't have room for a fourth. It's it's bizarre. But, um, they don't have room for the, the best hooker in Australia. The best hooker <laughs> in Australia. It's it's ridiculous. But um, the, the the other thing, just quickly, my last observation on the Japan game is is watching it back, especially in that first half. I just I think we just came in with the right attitude, and and it, the the attitude of trying to beat them up in the middle before we go wide. And I think it was our our first try was a perfect example of that. It was a really well worked try where we um you know started out with a line out in the Japanese sort of 22, and we spread it one side, we spread it back to the other. Just a lot of hard forward runners on ang you know, and Tatafu again took a couple of really key hit ups, and then we sucked in enough defenders. Um, and a couple of wide passes, and we and we and we, and we put Samu Karevi, I think, or Tavita Kurandrani, one of the two, over in the corner. It was just a really, you know, good attitude. Yeah, you know, too often I think with these minnow teams, you feel like people want to score tries with every play, and you try and mm. spin it wide and, and throw it before you need to. And actually, it was good that we had that attitude of of getting hard yards through the middle before before we, you know. We earned the right to spin it wide. And one last shout-out to... I've got to quickly bring him up because he's probably my favourite player at the moment. Marika Korobiti. I mean, I love the way he plays. His defence is great. His, you know, rugby instincts are really good. I like his little pick-and-goes that he takes. And he just seems like a really hard bloke to bring down in contact. I, I don't know. I just... I, I really like him. I'm totally with you there on his pick-and-goes. Pick like, where is that from? Like, how many wingers do you know in world rugby who seem to relish the pick and go so well yeah he's uh i mean it's obviously from his earlier days or something i don't know what it is but because it's not exactly a league tactic is it um you know where we you know it's just and he seems to he seems to absolutely love it i reckon he's going to carve a team soon doing that because he's such he's so hard to handle but yeah he, he loves the old pick and go doesn't he yeah he does he does and and I love him. Um, so <laughs> let's get to the next question. I suppose a bit of a fly on. What do we expect from the Wales test? I think we've won 12 straight against the Welsh, and they're a little bit undermanned um, this week. They're without um, Sam Warburton. But, I mean, God seems like they're always without Sam Warburton. can't remember the last time we actually played Sam Warburton. Um, Justin mm. Tipperick's out as well. They haven't picked Jamie mm. Roberts. I think there's a bit of a new-look um, nature to some of their team. Um, 
and to be honest, I haven't watched much <laughs> much Welsh rugby lately. Um, so I think we're not really sure what to expect from my perspective. But have you got any insights, Matt? I, I, I doubt you do. <laughs> but um, well, thanks, mate. That, well, that's the role I play in this podcast. Uh, you know, more of the shoot from the hip type. More <laughs> yeah. uh, well, an AM so... radio, no research, all opinion kind of guy. Yeah, that's the way I go. Um, so, have you got the team there in front of you, mate? The Welsh team, or is it you just got it? That they were the headlines. So yeah. I doubt they, they. I don't think they've announced it yet. Okay, well, we do, they're just the people we know are out. Look, there is a bit of class there, though. Um, I mean, probably the you know the the, the Lions you know player of the series was Davies, right? At, at centre. Yeah. Um, he was absolutely all class. So. You know, and then if you've got half penny, uh, I'm not aware that he's injured at the moment. I say, asking more of a question than anything else. Um, a bit of a worry if they are missing, uh, you know, sort of uh, Warburton and, and Tipperick. Very, They're very missing important. George North as well. Yeah, although you know he hasn't been quite the same for a while since he didn't know which which day it was uh, with his concussions. Um, uh, I think uh, you know over the last. You know, probably season or two is, was my impression, but I know, it could be wrong there. But um, you know, still, he's always going to be a handful, wasn't he? No matter no matter what sort of form he's in. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Wales. I saw on Twitter um, that they've been scrumming against England. Did you see that handheld footage? Yeah, um, that's, I, they had like a bit of a a, a post training session, Wales and England, a bit like what you do yeah. at school with the you know the bees versus the seas or something. Like it was a very very strange moment. Um, yeah, and, and you know all of this so so called centuries of history, the rivalry of the six nations. Well, what a load of bullshit that is. I mean, you can't go and train against each other and do a do an opposed session. I mean, if we did an opposed session about the against the All Blacks, I'd be uh, and you know and and the. And I'd only approve of the uh, an opposed session against the All Blacks if our stated intent was to injure as many of them as we could with dog <laughs> shots at the bottom of rucks and Michael Checker hooking into them. That I mean, it's it, it's a ridiculous scenario. Yeah, no, it's pretty mind blowing, isn't it? And then uh, from what we saw there, uh, yeah, I think it was the English scrum, um, obviously kind of bored, and then dicked the the Welsh scrum <laughs> just in one in that one video. So you were kind of wondering what they were getting out of it, I guess. They see us as the common enemy, and they're going to, you know, get in there and see if they could, they could, they're going to dish it up to us, which is, which is interesting. Um, it, if maybe gives you a bit of a signal where they see us being weak uh, as well. Uh, I wonder. Um, so maybe that's something that we need to think about when it comes to the Welsh, um, is that they're really going to focus in on that tight five um, and the scrum, and I probably wouldn't blame them. Um, we've been a little bit erratic on that front, and we're definitely not as strong as we had been. And we all know, like you know, what it's like. You start going backwards at that, at that you know, scrum set piece, and everything. All the wheels start falling off, and before you know, someone gets yellow carded, and you know, that's probably the easiest. When I say easiest, it's probably one of the most effective ways to get us out of our mental comfort zone. You know, like we were just talking about how if there's anything you could take out of that Japan game was that you know it's kind of making us feel good or, you know, that we're in the right zone. And I tell you, you know, it only take, you know, two or three scrums that are going absolutely tits up and, you know, penalties and maybe a yellow card. And that would be very, very, that'd be a very, very different feeling. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm worried about this game in one sense because I think we're due that performance of where we just completely fall in a heap 
and and um, you know go all the way back to where we were in the mid mid year internationals. I think we're we're sort of um, you know we're due one of those performances. And I, but I've been saying that for a, a long time now. So you know you hope that we found a consistency that that, that can continue um, through through the matches. I mean I, I think. Wales, we've just got this psychic advantage, this this um, energy that we seem to pick up every time we face the red jerseys that that for some reason carries us through. And you know, last last game we played them, it was a bit of a flogging really. And looking at their team now, I mean, look, they're not what they used to be. And I think if we lose them, I'll be disappointed. This is the game that we really should win of the of the next two. You know, at, at, with England and Scotland coming up. I mean, this is the one I'd actually peg us to win and the, you know the key to us I mean looking at our performances are if Bernard Foley coming back from illness I mean I've heard he's lost a couple of kilos making sure he's got that game back I'd like to see um, Carmichael Hunt um, get some fitness back because he seems to be just completely made of glass but that, that'd that be another name I'd like to see um, and yeah look just continuing our form especially in that forwards and tight five I think the guys that are really coming into form at the moment Matt just in a bit of response to what you said there are our front row and Sakopi Kepu and Scotty Seo had two great games against Japan and we've spoken about Tatafu so I think you you know they're the guys that I'd be expecting to step up and have a big game because the Walsh scrum's not particularly you know known for its strength so I think we could probably hopefully get them on some get them on skates and going backwards but um Look, I, I think we, we seem to be hitting our peak at the moment and Wales are just starting out. So my observation is I'd be hoping for a Wallaby win. Um, but look, in these Northern Hemisphere tests, you really never know, do you? And, and they've got some really class players in, in um, Davies and uh, Toby Faletau, um Ken Owens, the hooker's good, a very good player. And, and obviously Liam Williams at the back is is another good one too. So, you know, plenty plenty of um of good players in that Welsh side as 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 always. Yeah, like I I just think if you if you look at, you know, Gatlin walked away from that uh Lions series, played some pretty serious tactics um in there to be able to sort of, you know, minimize the the threat of the All Blacks. I think if he's been having a look at our attack, he knows we can leak points. So, he knows he can get some points on us. I mean, you know, Japan can put on 30. Um I think his thing will be, well, then how do I knock Australia off, off their, off their stride? And just the same way he thought through how he was going to do that with New Zealand. And I think, I mean, obviously at the Lions, he had a few more class players at, at his disposal because, um, you know, because of the, the, the nature of the squad. But yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, not surprised. Well, I was surprised, but it makes sense when, if you think that they were willing to kind of start doing opposed training sessions against the Poms. Um, because you know, because for both sides, I they would no doubt be looking at that as a bit of a weakness of ours. Slow down our scoring, put us off our stride, you know, get us in the wrong half of the field, all those things. Um, and yeah, this uh, I'm maybe not quite as confident. And if it's you know, Adam Jones in there, um, there's a, the, 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 the Welsh have got a few you know fairly seasoned front rowers. Um, I think our performance in scrum hasn't been nearly as, you know, it hasn't been the right basically since the World Cup. And I think our replacement front row is definitely not the same that it used to be. You know, Slipper, you know, when he, prior to his injury, was always a great front row to come on. And we even had like Spuddy Holmes and, and those guys who you just knew you could hold up their end in that, in that 
for that last 30 minutes and we're, we're not there yet with our replacements. Um, and so, yeah, I, I reckon there's a very good reason why they're kind of focusing on that. It, that could make it quite difficult uh, come the weekend. Yeah, so so prediction, I mean, look, I'm going to be a bit optimistic um, and say Wallabies by 12. Um, what, yeah. what are you thinking? Oh, no, I think it's going to be with the classic Wales Wallabies. Uh, oh, wallabies by two. Fantastic. Okay, let's move on. Um, two years out from the World Cup. I mean, we've already touched on this, as we've said, but what positions are you worried about? I want you to give one, uh, and we've ruled out <laughs> ten. We've talked about ten. That's out. We're both worried about ten, but what, what's the other one? Oh, okay, can't talk about ten anymore. Um, well, it's got to be it's got to be six, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, we look. I think we all got really really excited about um, Jack Dempsey, and I thought he had a you know he had some really good games. I'm not sure he really necessarily bagged. Like, was it the bag man of the match for, for two of the tests? He, or the first couple of tests he started, or something like that. I'm trying to remember how many he got there. He only, but, had, um, one. He only had one. Oh, did he? he only took well, away one. He might have got that Barbarians game, but but um, I, I mean, who cares about that? One? Yeah, oh God, a disaster. Um, look, so look, I, I I liked a lot about you know what we were starting to see there with him. Uh, he seems to be useful enough in the lineup. He's obviously tall enough. Uh, his footwork was was really really good. He could actually, um, you know, put a bit of pressure over the ball if we needed him to, which he he did in that Barbarians game as well. Um, but you know, he's had a, a horrid, you know, injury run, and he's now got yet, you know, yet another um, that really didn't look good for his for his leg. It was his hammy, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, hammy that off the like, bone. That, oh my god, yeah. So that's a long comeback um, and a tough one, um, you know, to. to you know, to do that. So, you know, so that just looks like, you know, we're back to square one there a little bit. Um, and then, look, you know, Ned Hennigan, as much as I'd love to be able to kind of be counter pop culture on this one, I, I don't think he's there yet. I can see what Checker likes about him. You know, he's got the size, he's got the ability, you know, he offers this, the, you know, in the line out. I don't think he's, you know, he was, as far as I'm aware, more of a, a lock all the way through. Checkers look to try and adapt him. It's not quite there yet. You know, he doesn't quite have that dynamism uh, as yet, and I think he's still got a bit of growing to do into his frame uh, to have that sort of power. So who does that leave us with? I mean, it looks like we're back to talking about Benny McCowan. Not a terrible uh, decision by any means. Um, who will forget that? the role he played against Wales in the last World Cup. Remember that when we were down to, I was going to say 10 men. We were down to 13 men or something. Yeah, 13, yeah. Yeah, you know, and the role he played in that line defence was absolutely titanic. Um, So we know he's a hard worker. Um, Probably, we just probably haven't seen him make that sort of impact, uh, you know, maybe with ball in hand. But uh, who knows? You know, he's now got 50 caps under his belt and maybe he's matured a bit. Um, had a good season with the force, you know, maybe, maybe he's ready to go, but it just doesn't feel like anyone's nailed that six for a long time, does it? Yeah, that's right. Since probably the the, the heart of the Rocky Elsom days, I'd say, is, you know, we had those couple of years there where he really had it, but um, mm. since then we've been bumping around. Um, my position's hooker. We touched on it last week with mm. Reg, but the, the idea of, of Tatafu going through to 2019, well, you know, I don't know, he's pretty old now, and if he's losing a super contract, he's still a good hooker. But 
you know, with his injury history as well and his age, it doesn't look good. And Stephen Moore's retiring. So we're left with Jordan Ulacy, who, you know, has looked good in a couple of stints off the bench, but the bloke's 19 or 20, um, and yet to really play much super rugby. So, I mean, there's a spot for him to step up, and there's a spot for guys, you know, a few other promising hookers around, um, like a guy like um, Falau Fainga or Andrew Reddy, who... You know, and Tolu Latu as well. So there are players there, but I just think a bit like that six is there's no one really proven that can step into it. But but mm. stepping back as well, there's not, you know, we're, we're doing okay, aren't we? I mean, I think if you'd asked us this question in 2013, two years out from the 2015 World Cup, we probably would have been a lot more worried about a lot more positions where I feel like this one, we're kind of, you know, there's there's some depth there in, you know, the back row, we're, we're going to be right, you'd think. The second row... There's there's enough talent that you think that we can get by, and we're discovering new guys like Matt Phillip and and um, uh, uh, Rob Valentini as well, who looks um, sensational. Um, and uh, we've also got um, we've also got you know guys in the backs as well coming through. We've got wingers galore. We've got you know 13 might be a problem, but then again you know there's there's good players there too. So we're sort of um, we're sort of not too bad, touch wood. So, so who knows? We're um, we're we're, well, we're, I, I, we're slowly getting there, aren't we? Well, and I guess that's where these extra matches kind of come in, which is that you know almost all of those things you talked about talk about blooding more players, and you know you kind of don't want to be doing that in a Bledisloe Test match, right? Um, or against the Palms, so um, or anyone else really in the top five. And these days, like for example, against our bogeymen, like bloody Scotland or something. So, you know, you, you, you're running around, you're running out of those opportunities where you can give people those, you know, those chances to show what they can do, uh, you know, with the Wallabies. So I think that's why, you know, those Japan tests, maybe even those, you know, barbarian tests are a chance for those guys to not just be on the training paddock, but actually hit it out. And, you know, you, Elise, everything we've seen so far looks like, yeah, the kid looks like a bit of a natural, but he needs... God, by the time you're getting into 2019, you'd love him to have like another. Uh, wouldn't you want him to have another? Maybe I don't know, 10 or 15 caps, uh, you know, sort of under his belt, ideally. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you're right. But um, yeah, look, there's, there's some, there's so much talent around it. I mean, I think that brings us on to our our next question, Matt, and which is, has the NRC come of age? Because I think they're inherently linked, and we're, you know, I think um, I um you know, sp- spoke about some of those players coming through and a lot of them have actually found their feet in the NRC. A guy like Matt Phillip being the prime example, you know, one of the reasons I think the NRC is very close to coming of age is is that we're seeing that conveyor belt of talent come through and, and, and you know, those guys are coming uh, coming and putting their hand up for not only super selection, but, but wallaby selection. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, look, um, it's an interesting question. What does come of age mean? What I definitely agree with is that it's kicked on to another level. Um, this year, I think uh, the Fijian side in there has is, is really helped with that. I think a lot of the uh, passion around the Perth side has been injected into that. Um, it feels like it's kicked on a little bit more. You know, you look at those teams now and you think less about them being like a, a mishmash of Sydney suburbs and you think about them more about being becoming you know, teams of their own right. Again, I think that whole Perth thing and the whole 
Fijian thing um, kind of uh, helped that. So, look, I, I think it's definitely taken a step on. Um, come of age, what, you know, what does that really mean? I, I would take that to mean... I don't know. It's 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 a it's a it's a fully fledged competition in its own right, and you feel like it's really generating its own value. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure it's there yet. Like for example, a marker with that would be that it's it's a bit like um you know like a is it an ICM or a Mita Cup whatever it's called these days. Yeah, Mita Ten Cup. Yeah, um, Mita Ten Cup, uh, and. Um, you know, that people are willing to pay for it. Like, for example, I, I can watch more of that on TV here than I can pretty much any other rugby competition. Um, you know, you kind of know you're there when people want to pick it up, and I still think it's a bit of a Australian rugby special interest comp, if I'm 100%, but I think it's definitely taken a step up. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree 100%. I mean, I think, you know, to touching on that, I mean, the most pleasing aspect for me has been that talent coming through. And I mean, I spoke about a guy like Rob Valentini, and he's not a lock. I got my wires crossed. He's a six. Um, but, um, you know, uh, Richie Arnold is, is the lock I was thinking of, and he's come through that Perth system. And we're seeing so many good players coming out of, of particularly Perth and, and, um, and Queensland country, you know, we saw Taniella Tupo getting this valuable experience that's going to take him into a Wallaby setup for me. And, and I mean, that's the encouraging thing. The third tier is acting exactly like we, what we'd hope it would. Um, but to, to answer your question, I mean, and, and Reg and Brett and uh, Nick are going to touch on this in a lot greater detail later in the week and, and talk about matches and, and, and lineups of obviously with Queensland country taking on the Vikings in the final this weekend. But, you know, I, I agree with you. It's not there yet, is it? And, and you know, it's, it's still, what, four or five years in and it and it's probably shows how hard it is to get these competitions off the ground. Because I think this year, the, the most pleasing thing is the rugby on the field has been the highest, of the highest quality that we've seen. You know, there's been a really good um, spread of talent across the teams. We've seen the Drua from Fiji come in and make a real mark on the competition. And we've seen, you know, every side conceivably come up with a few really great prospects. And, and that's been the, the most encouraging thing um, you know, because all of the games on the field have been of really good quality. And if you can keep that going, then the fans will come. But the problem is the fans aren't there yet. Um, you know, we've seen you know, reasonable crowds across games, but it's fair to say that, that there hasn't been a really big crowd in um, at, at, at any game so far. And, and the word of mouth is spreading slowly, but it's not... You know, like what we've seen at the Shoot Shield final. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure you'd see that in Sydney, you know, with those 15,000 people turning out to North Sydney Oval. There's not the tribal nature there yet, and there's not going to be a tribal nature there for some time. But, uh, you know, it, that's, the, that's the nature of these competitions that you sort of create out of nothing. But, um, look, I think we're getting there. Is, is, is the best answer I've got to that. It, it hasn't come of age yet. I think it's still got a way to go to get those eyeballs in across you know, TV viewers and viewers at the ground. But but you know what? I think the, the, most, the most important thing from this competition was always getting that development piece right and getting the rugby right. And if you can give these young players a chance at you know uh, to step up from club rugby and to step up from under 20s into into seniors and as a bit of a bridge between super rugby and international rugby then then the competition is worth its weight in gold and I think that's where we're at at the moment and I think 
you know, um, it's it'll pay dividends in in three, four, five years time, and we see these young players coming coming through that have that have you know cut their teeth in the NRC and and, and are now coming through to Super Rugby. So, you know, the optimist in me once again hopes that you know I think in the next two or three years we'll really see it take that next step. Well, that's what I hope anyway. Yeah. Um... So, look, I, I was just about to say that I, I think what, um, you know, that, that you should ask this question, I think, on the podcast that uh, Reg is going to do uh, with maybe Brett and Nick uh, later in the week, uh, and you, you'll get a very different answer, <laughs> which is a resounding yes. It's it's broken through and made it to the other side. In fact, I think, you know, Nick might have stopped talking to us throughout this question. Um, <laughs> well, look, I, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think a bit of... You know, Reg is a big NRC fan, but I mean, what what the question is, is I suppose, is you know, the, the term coming of age, is it the finished product yet? I mean, even they, I'd say they think it's not the finished product. Um, and there's still that work to do, which is mainly in that marketing off-field element. Um, you know, I love the NRC. I mean, certainly it's a great, you know, don't, don't, not knocking it for a second there. But um, look, Reg doesn't listen right. to this point in the podcast anyway, so I think we're pretty safe. Um, yeah, he's, he's probably switched off ages ago, as have most people. So with a few that remain, we're going to slog on to question five, uh, the lone survivors, including obviously Dave Vessels and hello to Dave. Um, for, thanks for listening again. Um, but question five, relevant to Dave a little bit, is, is Twiggy Ball any chance of being good? Um, and it's been raging on our forums over at Green and Gold Rugby at the moment. Um, and... You know, a bit of a, a, I suppose, a divide between Western Australians and, and non-Western Australians. But um, the the IPRC, as it's known, um, the Indo-Pacific Rugby Championship, has received ARU sanction, um, I think, late last week, which gives it the big green light to go ahead. Um, and it'll be probably going ahead starting in March, April next year and competing with Super Rugby um, rather than what was looked at which was being later in the year and competing with NRC, which I think is a good result for the competition and a good result for the NRC. But, um, Matt, you might have a bit of an opinion on this, I have a feeling. Um, <laughs> is Twiggy Ball any chance of being good? Well, oh, again, define good. I, I, I actually think the question is, is there any chance of getting off the bloody ground? I mean... I don't know if you've got it. I, read, I did read through earlier in the week the, the teams that they were talking about sort of being in this. Um, can you remember off the top of your head um, who some of those who the, some of those teams were going to be? I think we're talking be? about <laughs> there were some interesting names thrown around. I know, I know Sri Lanka was thrown around. Guam has been thrown around. Certainly Indonesia and Malaysia, Singapore um, and Japan. Um, China right. is another name in there. I mean, you know, take your pick, I think. Um, short of, you know, um, Myanmar, I think most you'd expect there's a lot of nations and a lot of rugby unions putting their hand up around that region. Yeah, look, I mean, I can't help but think that, you know, if, if uh, you know, NRC is taking a little while to sort of get off the ground, can you imagine what that's going to do? Um, it's not exactly like there's, you know, fantastic, you know, native rugby going on and those things that anyone would want to put on TV. So I just can't for a second understand how this thing is supposed to work um, or in any way be sustainable and or what it would factor in. I mean, look, I'm guessing that those teams in some low-flung level of the World Cup qualification something or other probably play each other. Like, why don't you stick that on TV? 
you know, if, if, if for some reason you think this is a good idea. Um, but I guess the thing is that what we transplant a few more club rugby players in Australia around the, the strange, you know, um, sort of beat, you know, off the beaten track in, in the you know, Pacific region, I absolutely don't get this for a second. I don't, I mean, and as if we need another competition. I mean, in our last point we were just talking about there, NRC versus club rugby, how much space is there for both? We've had to sort of artificially try and separate them in the in the in the timetable just to give them a bit of air, so that you don't, you know, if they're com- if they're competing with each other, my God, what would be the point? And y- here we've got yet another one. Again, I don't know. Look, if you see it as some sort of you know rugby world cup qualifying substitute or addition, I, 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 I otherwise I struggle. Classic East Coast elitist mentality there from from Matt. Wouldn't expect anything <laughs> left, mate, in the Ivory Tower. Um, look, I think I think you raise a couple of valid points. I think we've got to talk, and 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 what I've been saying on the forum lately is we've got to work out what success looks like here, and and set our expectations appropriately because. You know, there was an article, I think, on one of the Western Force sites, fan sites, that basically said, oh, well, you know, it'll be played in front of crowds of 50,000 around the region and, and, um, and, you know, massive TV ratings and, and, you know, big, big money teams with some global superstars in it. I mean, well, that's just patently absurd. I mean, that's never going to happen. So, you know, if you're expecting this to be an all-star league of, you know, of, of wallabies and ex-wallabies and, you know, players from around the region, well, you know, I think you're going to be disappointed. I think the best case scenario for this competition, as I see it, is it being a nice pathway for young Western Australian players to have to get some good game experience um, and pushing them into, you know, the lead into the NRC and then hopefully picking up a super rugby contract elsewhere. I mean, so, you know, the guys like Sham Vuies of the world and the Matt Phillips of the world can cut their teeth in a, in a, in a competition that's, that's, better than what Perth Club Rugby is. And some of the under-20s and the young guys can also be in that setup of, of semi-professional rugby with hopefully some older, experienced guys there to tell them how it's done. And, you know, the key to this all, though, Matt, and, and I think the guy that has this whole competition in his hands is obviously Andrew Forrest. Because if he wants to pump this full of cash, then he, that'll make it a success. You know, if he wants to market it, you know, put some big marketing money behind it, um put some player dollars behind it, then I think what you'll see is a floating, you know, roster of players that, you know, some journeymen, you know, take the pick the eyes out of the NPC and pick some shoot shield in RC players that aren't haven't got super rugby contracts and you can cobble together a few good sides. Not to mention the Pacific Islands and these sort of places. I mean, th- there's enough quality players floating around you know, especially in Southern Hemisphere and the Asia Pacific, um, Japan as well, where you could probably throw together four or five pretty competitive teams and then, you know, a couple of local players as well just for a bit of flavour. I mean, you know, I can see that working. The question is how how deep are Andrew Forrest's pockets? I mean, that's the million dollar, the $50 million, $100 million question with this entire competition. And how much is he willing to sacrifice to make it a success? Because if, if it's whatever it takes, then... You know, I certainly wouldn't bet against him, and wouldn't bet against the competition becoming something of a success. Um, but if he, you know, if if he's not willing to necessarily go 
and spend big dollars, then I think you're right. I mean, I think it's going to be a a bit of a recipe for disaster and a recipe for disappointment for a lot of the Western Australian fans who I know are pinning a lot of hopes on this particular competition. So the question is, is Twiggy Ball any chance of being good? I think it is. I mean, I think it's a chance of actually providing a really nice development pathway for Western Australian players and also players that haven't picked up super rugby contracts that might view themselves as being a longer-term, you know, prospect in rugby. But, you know, if you're defining good as, well, you know, 30,000, 40,000 crowds around the world and big TV audiences and this sort of thing. Well, no, it's not going to be that. We've seen with how hard, as you said, how hard the NRC is to get off the ground in five years, let alone, you know, this competition, which is going to places without established rugby markets, without established rugby players. I mean, it's 10 times harder than what the NRC is. Um, But you've also got a benefactor who's potentially 10 times richer than what the ARU are. So, you know, I can can see some success in its future, but, but it's certainly going to be interesting to watch, isn't it? Yeah, look, I, I'm, yeah, I, I think we have to be careful of how we think about Twiggy Forest money, for example, um, and, and how long it can possibly last and how long he's happy for it to go. So, you know, my understandings of, my limited understandings of his fortunes are, uh, they're not sort of, we're not talking Bill Gates size here, right? And, you know, pouring 40 million bucks a year, well, that's only going to last for, you know, for so long, I suspect, you know, once. <laughs> Um, and that's not to say that he's going to be bankrupt after that, but that's a lot of cash for anybody to be swimming around. Um, so in terms of where this thing could possibly get to, I just, yes, I, I, I really struggle to see it. Look, there's, there's also like, um, I, I guess it's a bit of a thorny issue to, to sort of deal with because on the one hand, I would feel really, I'm sure I would feel really, really pissed off if I was a force supporter right now, having invested a lot of time and effort and money um, into a franchise that's just been vaporized. Um, but then there's also, you know, I, I don't know, conflating that into, so therefore stuff everybody and stuff you, and I'm willing to believe stuff that's not really believable um, into, you know, like how this is going to basically somehow get to a stage where it maybe competes or overtakes super rugby is, is just, I don't know. You need to see some reality at some stage. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you know what? Wishing all the best because if it does succeed, then great. I mean, it's great for Australian rugby. You know, more Mm. good rugby, more good competitions, more people watching the game, more people playing the game can only be a good thing. So I'm certainly cheering it on. But uh, as, as always, you've got to be a bit realistic. Um, so I think that, that kind of gets us to the end. I mean, not we'll leave a bit more for, for Reg and Brett to, to talk about. And Nick, I mean, um, I, I, obviously Reg is, yeah, as I said, turned off. But um, the uh, other things happening in the world, I suppose we saw the Australian Sevens team take out the um, Silicon Valley Sevens, um, which was a, um, a, a little tournament there in in uh, San Francisco, I believe, or in that sort of Bay Area there. And um, we've now won three straight tournaments, uh, the Oct- the prestigious Oktoberfest Sevens and the Central Coast Sevens before that. So good to see our team hitting some form, albeit against lesser opposition. Matt, I'm not sure if you saw any of it. The interesting result for me was New Zealand Sevens being rolled by Chile uh, in the opening <laughs> rounds. Uh, would you believe it? So uh, yes. Is this how we got it? Is this? How, I mean, look, I, I shouldn't be too rude about our guys. Um, I, I know that's some good talent, and they try their asses off. But is this how we're 
kind of injecting a few good wins by <laughs> rolling into sort of pub sevens comps and dominating. Well, yeah, it's actually called the Silicon Valley sevens because all of the players were actually workers in Silicon Valley. Um, they were actually sort of just Google programmers and coders and that sort of thing. So I think a lot and of people... <laughs> yeah so um we did pretty well to take that one out but anyway um that was we're, um, we're basically going around kicking sand in you know 20 pound weaklings faces uh to kick off with but anyway yeah. look you know and, whatever and it takes to get, look, to get a momentum i'm happy, for, I'm happy to keep doing it because the wins are win in my eyes um <laughs> and uh, yeah and, and obviously the nrc grand final coming up australia v wales as well um, the hits just keep coming, don't they, Matt? It's a season that never ends. Um, no, it, it's never. How are you feeling about it, Hugh? How are you feeling about this much rugby for this long? I mean, I, I'm, I'm t- surprisingly still kind of into it. I think the Wallabies' form resurgence has been the thing that's kept me going because I'm actually genuinely yeah. interested to see how they're going. Otherwise, I think I'd be sort of switched off at a little bit more than what I am. But, um, right. and yeah, I mean... I don't know. It's, it does get along the old international season, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and the NRC it's all a bit. Yeah, I've got to say, like looking at just like site traffic or just whatever's going on, like I don't think anyone gave a stuff about that. No, not. It was it was definitely the the, the whole Japan thing was definitely for the rusted ons. There wasn't a lot of interest, was there? Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, that's what the tour is. Though. I mean, the, the tour now becomes more about development than any sort of fan engagement. You're just there to sort of build players for the next year and see how we go. So, I mean, that's, that's you know, in many ways, it's a bit of a... You know, we could lose three games by 100, and I mean, no one's really watching anyway. So, you know, it's... it's but then we've got the game against the Palms. I mean, the, the, is it the week after? And that really, wow, what a season changer that is. You know, you know, do the you know do the All Blacks and then do the Palms and you've almost turned this season around I reckon. Yeah, exactly. It'll it be um that that it's all on the line there, isn't it? Can't wait. Anyway, uh, thank you, Matt. Um, thank you, Nick, in the booth, and and uh, thank you all who have stuck it out and listened this long. Uh, well done to you. Um, thanks so much for joining us, uh, everyone, and we will look forward to uh, seeing you next week. Eels off the top. Larkham, Herbert smashes through the middle, Regan, drop goal from Larkham, up it goes, could you believe it, Larkham has Kabir Kabir.